Hey everyone, I'm Cody, and you are listening to a public church podcast. I hope you enjoy the talk today, and thanks for listening. I just have to settle something before we get started. Luke, over here, I asked him, I said, you know, what, what's your favorite side dish? And he says, yams and marshmallows. Yams, yams. Uh, how many of you call them yams? Anybody? Okay, there, you have a couple friends. Sweet potatoes, anyone? Okay, anyway, just love you, Luke, I'm just saying. Anyway, I just needed to get that settled. It was bothering me in my spirit before we got started. <laughs> Oh, I am so excited about Thanksgiving. For me, my favorite dish, just to let you know, is um, it's the best dish, not that I would ever put yours down, but this is the best one. It's my mama's, she's watching, uh, sweet potato casserole with pecans and brown sugar on top. Come on, somebody. Mm. It's awesome. So if we haven't met, my name is Todd, and I like sweet potato casserole. I love Thanksgiving. And before we dive in, I just want to take a moment and celebrate what God did last week. If you're new, um, last week was Beyond Sunday, where we had an opportunity for generosity to accelerate vision, As and the vision is the Beyond Project, where we're creating spaces where Jesus impacts people beyond the room. So we had an opportunity last week with joy to both give and to pledge. And so I just want to take a moment, and can we just celebrate what Jesus did? You guys ready to start celebrating? Is that good? Uh, so here's what happened last Sunday. We're going to praise Jesus for $71,775.95 in giving. Yes. And pledges $170,058. One more time. Praise Jesus for that. Man. God is our provider, and he is providing, and what God originates, he orchestrates. So he's given us this vision, and it's about people, and he's providing everything we need to the vision. So we just want to start and just thank him and praise him for that. Now today, I'm just curious, um, how many of you have heard of FOMO? Raise your hand. FOMO? Okay. How many of you have ever made a bad decision because of FOMO? Raise your hand. Okay, that's what I thought. So uh, I'm not going to talk about FOMO uh, because I think it can cause us to make bad decisions at times, the fear of missing out. But on the flip side, there's a little bit of truth in it. Because if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of us have actually missed out on something that matters in life. Again, not, not FOMO that causes us to make bad decisions. But there's times that we're so zeroed in on whatever is going on in our life that we actually miss the bigger picture, and then we exit that life stage, and we look back and realize we can't ever get it back. Is anybody with me? Am I stirring up some regrets in anybody? Because I know I am in me. And, and for me, sometimes it's hard for me to face regrets um, because I'm like, I just kind of want to move on. But what I'm learning in a podcast I listen to help me see this is there is a healthy way to process regrets so that we can not repeat them, and we can move forward. And so there is a way for us to go, man, I left that season, and I missed out on something that I'm never going to get back. So so how do we prevent that? One of the key ways that we prevent that is we've got to have people who are wiser and older than us in our lives, people that are not in the same life stage that we're in, so they can go, hey, move the blinders and don't miss it. Parents, for those of us who are parents, it's huge that we have people who are older and farther along in the parenting journey than us. Because, come on, if you have parents of littles, the days are long, aren't they? And it'd be so easy to wish those days away. So we need people in our lives that when they're watching our children, I could just list all these people, they have so much joy, and I have so much joy that they're watching my children. I'm like, yes, I get a break, and they're so joyful to see them come, and it reminds me, man, I should be that joyful when they're coming back to me. 
Like, it gives me that perspective. I listened to a podcast from a couple of parents who have three children, and they're all adult children. They asked this, this mom, they said, if, if you could go back to when your kids were toddlers, what would you do? And she said, that's easy. I'd get in the floor and play with them. And so sometimes I think about that. When I'm tempted to do all this other stuff and get distracted, I'm like, no, I just need to get in the floor and play because one day this is going to be gone, and I, I can't get it back. You know, college students... It's easy to get focused on what you're going through, and it's so busy, and I'm not going to minimize that busyness at all. But for those of us who are beyond the college season, on a lighter note, would you go back to college and have that schedule? Any adults with me in this? You're like looking back, and you're like chained to a desk, nine to five, and you're like, look, to be able to make myself busy whenever I want to be busy and study whenever I want to study and do these things versus having to show up at a time and not be able to leave till time. Anybody with me? Anybody like some nostalgia here? Like I wish somebody had just told me, it's awesome, don't miss it. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm calming down. Anyway, again, not to say to minimize what you're going through, but to go, hey, hey, don't, don't miss the bigger picture. So today what we want to do is we want to take a look at the journey of following Jesus. And, and my goal is to try to remove some blinders and help us see something that would be very easy for us to miss. And if we miss it, we're gonna look back and we're gonna be really sad. And I just don't want that to happen because I love you and I care about you. So we're gonna be in Mark 11. If you wanna go there in your Bible or Bible app, Jesus is gonna be emotional in this. If you don't follow Jesus or if you've been following Jesus for 50 years and you think Jesus is some kind of stoic, non-expressive, emotionless dude, this scene shatters that. So he definitely isn't that. And, and here's how I just want to frame today. Um, earlier this year, an analogy to help us frame what we're going to do. Earlier this year, I realized that um, I'm incredibly not flexible. That wasn't a realization, but I realized I'm not flexible and I need to do something about it. Okay. So I realized because as I get older, what's going to happen? I'm just going to get more inflexible. I'm going to get stiffer. So if I don't start doing something about this now, it's going to lead to injuries. It could lead to me not being able to do the things with our children when they're older that I want to be able to do, like go be active with them. So I realized like I needed to do something preventative now so that I could not miss something that's coming later. So today I'm inviting us to basically do a stretching routine. Well, what I did is I talked to Ben McChesney. This is a free advertisement for him as a physical therapist. And he did an assessment on me. And I might have been his stiffest patient ever. I'm not sure. But, and he was like, do these things. And so I've been very consistently doing those things. And I feel so much better. So today what I want to try to do is say, hey, let's broaden our perspective. And then here's some practices that we can weave into our habits and our how we follow Jesus on a weekly basis so that way we get to that place, and we're not missing out on anything, but we're experiencing the fullness of what it means to follow Jesus. Y'all with me? Okay, so in Mark 11, the scene is, we're actually going to start in verse 11. And here's what happens. Jesus, he's, he's on the way to the cross, okay? He's going to the cross, and he comes in Jerusalem. So the end is near for Jesus. And in Mark 11, 11, it says, Jesus came to Jerusalem. He went into the temple, and after looking around carefully at everything, he left because it was late in the afternoon. Then he returned to Bethany with the 12 disciples. It's really important here that we notice what Jesus does before we get to our actual scene. He comes into Jerusalem, goes to the temple, and he assesses everything. So what happens next is very intentional. It's very measured. Are you following me? It's not like Jesus does what happens next just 
off the seat of his pants. Like he's really thinking about this. So he, he goes in, he assesses stuff. He's like, all right, I'm going to go home. I'm going to sleep on this. And I'm going to come up with a plan for what I'm going to do tomorrow. And so here's what he does the next day. Drop down to verse 15. It says, when they arrived back in Jerusalem, it's the next day, Jesus entered the temple, the same temple he'd walked and assessed, and began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves, and he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. And then he said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. Summary, Jesus is angry. But remember, he planned this. Sometimes we use this scripture as an excuse to just fly off the handle. Now, Jesus is very intentional and measured in how he's expressing his anger here. Maybe that's a, all we need today. <laughs> because we keep going and we says like, well, what made him so mad? Because it comes in and he, he turns over the tables. He shuts everything down. Basically, like, he stops their church. He's like, we're done. Get out. It's over. Like, well, why is Jesus so upset? If, if we dig into this, there's really two things he's upset about. The first one is greed. So what happens in this time period is in order to worship God, you had to have a sacrifice and you had to offer the sacrifice. And so what's happening is people were selling these sacrifices for exorbitant prices. Because as you travel to the temple, which again, in this time period, this was basically the place you met with God. If you travel to the temple, you had to bring your sacrifice all the way with you, which is pretty hard. Or you can get to the temple, get to Jerusalem, and you can buy it. So they're like, hey, we got a chance to make some money here. Because they're not going to want the inconvenience of bringing their cow all the way, <laughs> bringing their pig all the way, bringing their lamb all the way. So guess what we can do? We can just sell them here, and we can jack up the prices. So first, he's upset for greed. He's also upset for prejudice. We have to pay attention to where they're actually selling these sacrifices for exorbitant prices. It's actually in the Gentile section of the temple. So just context, there are certain aspects of the temple that only the Jews could enter. God had chosen the Jews to be his special people, to reveal his character to the world. And so there was certain aspects of the temple that the only Jews could go into, but God has a heart for the nation, so then there was this section of the temple where the Gentiles could worship. Well, what was happening was the Gentiles couldn't worship because the Jews were actually selling sacrifices where they were supposed to be worshiping. So Jesus is upset because the nations can't worship. Are you following me? It's making sense? What happens is the Jews are so focused right here on, okay, we're the special people and we're in and it's all about us. They're thinking, okay, how can we make money off this? And they've forgotten that it's bigger than them and that God has a plan for the whole world. Not only have they forgotten that, they're actually preventing the nations from being able to come and worship God. And so Jesus is upset. And he says, come on, my house will be a house of prayer for all nations, which comes from Isaiah chapter 56. So if we want to understand what Jesus is quoting, because he is quoting this in his brilliance, he's quoting Isaiah 56, verses 6 and 7. I will also bless the foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord, who serve him and love his name who worship him and do not desecrate the Sabbath day of rest, who hold fast to my covenant. I will bring them to my holy mountain of Jerusalem and will fill them with joy in my house of prayer. I will accept their burnt offerings and sacrifices because my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And Jesus is ticked when this isn't happening. So, so here's, here's what we could miss. 
we could easily just be following Jesus in Cleveland, Tennessee, in America, wherever you're watching this from, and we could miss what God's doing amongst the nations. We could be so focused on this local church and the good things that God is doing here, let's praise him for it, that we miss that this local church should always be connected to what God is doing in his global church. And the thing is, we could get to heaven and be shocked. But whoa, why are all these people here speaking different languages? They don't look like me. I'm not comfortable here because we never experienced that on earth, and God wants us to experience that on earth. Jesus prayed, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, to prepare for heaven, we should be engaging the nations. And if we're not, we miss out, which is really sad, but we also make Jesus mad. If, if we are the type of people and type of church that are actually inhibiting the nations from worshiping, it's not like Jesus is like, oh, man, they're going to get to heaven and they're just going to be like, oh, you missed out on all God was doing. No, he's ticked about it because he doesn't want any of his followers to be blocking people from getting to him. Instead, we should be conduits ushering people to worship Jesus and to discover who he really is. So, so we've got to ask some questions if Jesus walked in. Would he turn over some tables here? If Jesus walked into our homes and he observed the way we live, are we engaged in the global church at all? Or are we just here doing our thing? And today I just want to say let's not miss what God is doing globally. Now, I understand some pushback. And maybe you're feeling this. I've had this expressed to me. It's like, well, we'll get to the nations when we reach everybody here. Like, we've got work to do here. And so let's do work here. And then they quote Acts 1.8, just to go to Acts 1.8. And before I read Acts 1.8, our founding pastor, Jamie Work, who before his wife passed away, he and his wife, he retired from being a pastor in the United States, and they moved to the Middle East to take the gospel to the Muslim world and people who'd never heard the gospel. That's in our DNA. But something that Jamie Work has taught for years and years and years, I heard him teach this again about a month ago, is that as we read Acts 1-8, here's what we need to understand. It is not sequential. It's simultaneous. And if you're ever told it's sequential, that's bad theology. It's not an either or. It's a both and. Now, let me read it, and it'll make sense. It says in Acts 1-8, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Pause. In other words, the Holy Spirit is going to send us out and empower us to reach the nations. Because this is God's heart. And so it says, here's what's going to happen. You'll be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Sadly, this has been taught sequentially. That's not how Jesus meant it. It's simultaneous. It's not, let's take care of Jerusalem, and then we can take care of Judea, and then we can take care of Samaria, and then we'll go to the ends of the earth. No, no, no. It's like, as we're taking care of Jerusalem, we're also taking care of the ends of the earth because God's big, and he can handle it all. And so if you're thinking, what about the people here? Yes, it's about the people here and there. It's about the whole world, every single human on the planet having an opportunity to hear the gospel, the good news that God didn't say, figure out how to get to me. God came to us, and his name is Jesus. He didn't tell us to clean ourselves up. No, he paid the penalty for our sins. He took on the wrath of God in our place, and he died. 
And through his death, we can be forgiven for all of our sins, past, present, and future. And we can have a relationship with God where he satisfies us at a soul level. And if you're wondering, does it work? Well, Jesus is like, yes, I conquered death and rose from the dead, letting everybody for all time know that he is powerful over death and over sin. And we can live a life of victory and freedom. And Jesus wants to make sure that that message is getting out to everybody here and there. And he's sent his Holy Spirit to make that happen. So I'm just going to zoom out for a moment because Jesus is obviously upset. And, and I want to make sure that we understand that Jesus is upset because from the beginning, God's heart has been for the nations. It wasn't like Jesus showed up and he's like, ah, let's expand this thing. No, this has been happening from the beginning. If you've been around for a while, you've probably heard me say some of these scriptures. Well, guess what? You're going to hear me say them again and again and again and again because we have to see the overarching framework of scripture and we have to see God's heart for the nations. And this is just a sample. So if we go all the way back to Genesis, the first book in the Bible, Genesis 12, 12, God calls Abraham. This is how the Jews became God's special people. It all started with Abraham. And here's what God said to Abraham. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. And notice this, and you'll be a blessing to others. And then he says this, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. From the beginning, God said, Abraham, I'm going to make you a special people called the Jews. But here's the point, so the nations will know me. He wasn't just doing a thing just for this people. He was doing a thing for this people so that the whole world would see who he is and the nations would be impacted. So then in Isaiah 25, 6, it's a glimpse of the end of, of what's coming. And it says this, in Jerusalem, the Lord of heaven's armies will spread a wonderful feast for all the people of the world. It will be a delicious banquet with clear, well-aged wine and choice meat. There he will remove the cloud of gloom, the shadow of death that hangs over the earth. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away all tears. Sadly, I think at times we focus on verse 8 and ignore verses 6 and 7. Speaking from experience and somebody who's been there. Man, it's awesome. God's going to swallow up death. Nobody's ever going to die. He's going to wipe away all tears. This is great. But who's there when this happens? The nations. Who's at this feast? The nations. Because God's heart always has been and always will be for the nations. If we continue in Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 45, verses 22 and 23, and look, I'm giving you a lot of scripture because I don't want to talk you into loving the nations. I want God's word to be able to transform your heart. As I'm reading these scriptures, the Holy Spirit of the living God can speak to us whether or not we walked in or tuned in following Jesus, and he can literally change our hearts and open our hearts towards what God is doing globally. So that's my prayer today. It's like, why are you reading all these scriptures? I'm just giving the Holy Spirit space to do what he, only he can do. So Isaiah 42, verses 22 and 23, let all the world look to me for salvation. This is God talking. For I am God, there is no other. I have sworn by my own name. I have spoken the truth. I will never go back on my word. Every knee will bend to me and every tongue will declare allegiance to me. So he's saying, I want the whole world to follow me. And then here's what he says. And notice this. He says, at the end, everybody will. But here's what we want. We want to give people the opportunity to do about choice, not by being forced. Because all of those who have rejected Jesus, 
And all of those who will be eternally separated from Jesus, they're still going to acknowledge that he's the king of the universe. But as we take the gospel to the world, to all the nations, what we're doing is we're saying, hey, your knee's going to bow one day. We want you to do it by choice, not by force. We want to give you a chance to follow Jesus now so you can spend eternity with him forever. Because one day we're all going to acknowledge it. And then if we look at Isaiah 49, 6, I love this. He says, this is a prophecy about Jesus. You will do more than restore. I like things that rhyme, so that's probably why I like this. But can, can we just say that together, that phrase? Ready, go. You will do more than restore the people of Israel to me. I will make you a light to the Gentiles, and you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. I love this because God is basically saying, look, it, it's not even hard enough for Jesus to just rescue one people group. That's so easy. That's like before he has a cup of coffee in the morning, Jesus can just take care of the Jews. It's more than just one people group. It's the whole world. It's all the nations. It's the billions of people on the planet now and the billions of people who ever have lived and whoever will live. Like God has sent his son for all of them. Because he loves them all. They're all made in his image. And he wants to give them a chance to follow him because Jesus died and rose again. And then in a revelation as we get to the end, again, we're just seeing like, hey, this has been God's plan from the beginning. It's going to happen in the end. In Revelation 5, we get a glimpse into heaven in verse 9, and it says this about Jesus. They sang a new song with these words, and they're talking about Jesus, that you are worthy. You're worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it, for you are slaughtered, and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God. And they will reign on the earth. That Jesus' blood was for all people. And then what we need to understand, and look, I've said this before and I'm going to say it again, is anytime we're reading scripture and it's talking about the nations, if we're not a Jew, it's talking about us. So anytime there's like this tension of like, do the nations get in or not? Honestly, we should be on the edge of our seats going, I hope so. Because the only way I get in is if the nations get in. Because I'm not a Jew, I'm the nations. This is good news. So Jesus' blood covered us. And it covered everybody on the planet. He just got to repent. They got to follow him. And then at the very end, so we got Genesis 12 and then Revelation 21. Revelation 21, verse 24, it says, The nations will walk in its light. And the kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. This is talking about when Jesus returns, he restores all things, and he sets up this city of God. A new heaven and a new earth. And it says, look, the nations are going to walk in its light. And then in verse 26, and all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. Have you ever heard somebody pray in, in a language besides English? Have you ever heard people sing in a language besides English? Have you ever been in a place where people are praying in multiple languages, where they're singing in multiple languages? I'm getting chills just thinking about it. Do you know why we get chills? Because that's what heaven's going to be like. Come on. And I don't know if we realize it or not, but English is not going to be the dominant ethnic group or ethnic language. We're going to be the minority up there, people. I mean, after all, Jesus was olive-skinned, and he was Jewish and from the Middle East. But what an opportunity that's going to be. All these different languages, the glory of the nations, all the different cultures, the immense diversity, all for the glory of King Jesus. Oh, Holy Spirit, give us eyes to see that.
And so when we see it, we gotta do something about it. We gotta make sure that we're the church, both individually and collectively, that's ushering in this scene versus being what was happening in Mark 11 where they were blocking this scene. And so what I'd like to do now is just make this personal by letting you hear from some of our partners, people globally that, that you and I are actually connected with. Because even if you came in like this, if you're a part of the church family, you're actually already connected. We just want to open your eyes to it. And the first couple of partners we're going to look at, we're actually going to cut the broadcast. Broadcast, we love you. But for security reasons, these people can't be seen. And so we're going to cut the broadcast, and we're going to look at these videos of a couple people who are literally taking the story of Jesus to unreached people groups. So after the broadcast goes off, we will watch this video. So here's how we're going to end our talk today is Jesus said that his house should be a house of prayer for all nations, so let's let his house be a house of prayer for all nations. And so Spencer's going to come up. And we're just going to have some time to pray. You heard every single one of these partners pray for us in this way, pray for us in this way. So those are going to be on the screen. Before we pray, I want to invite you just to get out your phone, and we're just going to scroll through those. And take a picture, because we don't want to just pray in this gathering. We want to keep praying. And they'll be back on the screen again. So again, you can also pray later. But if you just look at our partners in Europe, our partner in Europe, what she mentioned, language exams needed for residency in the nation, in the country she's in, and over the holidays that there would be open doors to share the gospel through both new and existing relationships. If we look at our partner in North Africa, that the Holy Spirit would soften people's hearts and create good soil. If we look at Shepherd's Heart International, they have a new project. They're hoping to unify their three locations. And if we're looking at Battelle Baptist and Nightingales at, at the church, that they're entering into a new partnership with the Constanza Church. Nightingales, they're still serving Ukrainian refugees who live there. And then for Ben, Louisa, Iwana, Mikey, that they would have quality family time every week. So what we're going to do is we're just going to pray. And there's going to be prayer prompts on the screen. There's going to be more than just that. But I would encourage you, if you have a way you like to pray, a posture, do it. If you need to get on your knees, do it. If you need to stand up, do it. If you don't follow Jesus, you're like, what are we going to do? This is an opportunity for us just to be still and the Holy Spirit to speak to you and even change you, even if you don't follow him right now. So I'm just going to lead us, and we're just going to spend some time in prayer. So whatever you need to do, if you need to move. So we're just going to start, and we're just going to pray for our partner in your. And one more thing, pray aloud. Like, let's, let's as, a, a, as a church, Let's just pray. So if you're comfortable, just, just pray aloud right where you're at, and let's just let this murmur fill this room as we call on heaven and call on God to make an impact among the nation. So first, we're going to pray for a partner in Europe. Let's pray. Now let's pray for our partner in North Africa. Shepherd's Heart International. Patel and Nottingales.
Nella Wells family. And we're going to slow down just a little bit now, and we're just going to pray for Cuba. And we had a gathering for the International Day of Prayer for um, the Global Persecuted Church. Esteban and Miriam just asked us to pray for encouragement and perseverance for Jesus' church in Cuba. So to honor what Esteban, our friend, asked us to do, let's just as a church lift up the nation of Cuba. Next, we are going to pray for the global persecuted church. In your seat, you have a country that's on the watch list. It's one of the most persecuted nations, one of the top 50 persecuted nations in the world, places where it's dangerous to be a Jesus follower. So if you would, just pray day one, that day one prayer for your nation right now, and let's pray for the global persecuted church. We just want to pray for unreached people groups next, people that have never heard the gospel. And if you don't mind, just pray that specific prayer for us as a church. And our final prayers is we're just going to intercede on behalf of those people that God misses the most, lost people. And so if you would just join me in praying these specific prayers for lost people globally. And I'll just lead us as we pray through these. So, Father, would you draw people to your son, Jesus? Only you can do that, Father. We're thinking about people that have never heard the gospel or as they're hearing the gospel. These 40 people that heard the gospel for the first time two weeks ago in Europe, God, that you would bind the spirit that blinds their minds. You can do that, Jesus. Bind that spirit. And in its place, would you just loose the spirit of adoption that people would know that you are their dad. And you would have a personal relationship with them, Father. And I pray for positive encounters with Jesus followers. That they would just encounter us and we would be the reconcilers, the salt and light that you have made us to be. And it may feel spontaneous to them, but it's intentional through the Holy Spirit. And help us to be intentional in those interactions. And I just pray that, Jesus, you would release the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you so people will follow you and be changed by you. And it's in the unrivaled name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So now we're just going to sing about the power of God. If you need to keep praying, just keep praying. But I just want to say something specifically. If you don't follow Jesus, we just prayed for you. And so maybe you just need to walk back to the prayer quarter and say, I just want to follow Jesus because he died and rose again. Whatever we need to do, let's just keep leaning into Jesus and his power as we sing this song together. Thank you so much for joining us today. We'd love to connect with you on any of our social media platforms at A Public Church or through our app or website, publicchurch.com. To give towards the vision of Public Church, you can do so through our app or website via PushPay or by texting 
Public Church, in all caps with no space, to 77977. Again, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful day.